So we are continuing our series on John's gospel. And, and the, way, the way things were supposed to time out, um, um, we're supposed to hit the passage I'm going to be using on Easter on Easter. Um, but, but, but we kind of got, we dragged a little bit. <laughs> I'm including you in all this, we dragged. I dragged a little bit. Um, and, so, and so we're going to do some of uh, chapter 8 today. Um, next Sunday, Palm Sunday, we're going to do some more of chapter 8. And then we're going to skip ahead a couple of chapters for Easter. And then we'll get back in, into order after that. Um, for those of you that like to read ahead, that's what's going to happen. Um, also, we do want to encourage you, so Easter morning, um, we're going to have um, the choir, full music at both services. The music at, every, at both services is going to be the same. It's going to be, Ben's got some great things planned. And so this is a great opportunity for you to invite um, unchurched or marginally churched, unchurched or margin, marginally churched, fan, um, family, friends, coworkers, neighbors, whatever, um, to our worship on, on Easter morning. Um, but this morning, we're, we're, we left off last week. If you weren't with us last week, we looked at chapter 8, and we began looking at, at the, the, the story of the woman caught in adultery. And, and we, we end up, we're, we're going to talk about three gifts that Jesus gives us in this encounter with this woman. He gives us three, three gifts, three amazing gifts. And the one we left off with last week, the first gift from the story is the gift of uh, the recognition that we are not alone. We are, we are not alone in our sin. We all share a, a sinful nature. It was so adorably sweet at the 8.30 service. This wonderful young mom was there with, with her little child, Little Brooks, and he couldn't have been more than eight months old, I think, and Little Brooks. And just when I was talking about this piece here, that we're not alone, we are all sinful people, this, this little baby just started babbling off. And it was just such a great interruption because it was a great reminder that as good Calvinists, we know that, that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Um, um, we all share that malady, whether, whether it's an eight-month-old child or a 62-year-old uh, man. Uh, we, all, we all share that malady. We are, we are not alone. So, I know some of you are muttering, I can't believe Pastor Richard's 62. He doesn't look 62. I'm not going to hear it. I can't hear it. <laughs> so because we're not alone, see, here, here's the point we left off with. Don't let other people shame you. Don't let other people shame you. Don't let other people condemn you. Don't let other people, when you've done something wrong, when you've strayed from the path that you know you should be going, don't let other people try to lay guilt upon you. Don't let others shame you. Why? Because the Bible says they're no different than you are. They're no better than you. You're no worse than them. And we can flip that. And we have no business shaming or guilting others because we are no better than them and they are no worse than we are. We all, we all sin. Decades ago, just a great, and in summarizing what the Old Testament teaches about our sinful nature, a great professor of Old Testament, Walter Brueggemann, 
made a, a profound statement that has stuck with me, and I'm going to update it a wee bit here. But Brueggemann was talking about what the Old Testament says, especially the prophets, what the Old Testament says about our, our sinful human nature. And I'm paraphrasing, I'm updating it, but here's what, basically what Brueggemann said. Brueggemann said, the problem with Donald Trump isn't that he's different from us. The problem with Donald Trump is that he is just like us. You see, now my biggest concern is that that somebody will, will shut down after I say Donald Trump and they'll think I'm saying something positive about Donald Trump. I'm saying something realistically, realistic about us and our nature. We are no better than somebody else and we are no worse than somebody else. And see, if you understand that point, that point is so important to understand because if you understand that point, you will grasp exactly what the Bible teaches about sin. Sin is the one thing we all have in common. So, so when it comes to sin, just remember, we all do it. We all fall short of the glory of God. So here's the thing. Here's what that means. Don't get overly depressed by your sin. Don't beat yourself up when you sin, when you fall short, because you are not alone. And what we're going to look at later, does that mean we should celebrate our sin? Absolutely not. Of course not. That's not what we're talking about. We just don't downplay it and we don't overplay it. We take the biblical perspective on sin. We see, we see sin for what it is. It's a, it's, a, it's a common malady. It's something we all share. It's a common sickness that can only be overcome with the antidote of the cross. That's all. So don't, please, please, don't be over-depressed, overly depressed over your sin. And while it makes sense not to become overly depressed over sin, some people can't help it. Some people, it's easy for them to get discouraged over their sin. They get, they get discouraged. They say things like, oh man, I, what is wrong with me? I can't believe I did that again. Why am I making such a mess of my life? Why can't I make better choices? Man, oh man, nobody, I look around me and my friends and the people I know, nobody is screwing up their life as much as I am. See, people do that. I've actually heard people say to me, people have said to me, Pastor, you can't even begin to understand what I'm going through, what I'm dealing with, the sin that's in my life. Jesus is, is saying to this woman caught in adultery and he's saying to us that that's not true. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. That's all of us. See, one of the things we do, I mean, we like to tell our kids, we like to tell each other, oh, we're so unique, and I say that from the pulpit. How unique we are. Yeah, we are unique in so many different ways. Just look at your thumbprint and you'll know how unique you are. But see, sometimes we carry that to extreme and we are not unique in the sense that some people are more sinful than others. Some people have it worse than others. We've got it worse than somebody else. 
Bottom line, we're in the same boat. We are not unique in the sense that we all sin. And God has more than enough grace for us, more than enough. We are all sinners saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. So forget, forget your sin and remember your Savior. I mean, that's what we need to do, man. Forget your sin and remember your Savior. Here's another passage to remember. Paul said, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. So what Paul means is if you've faced it, other people have faced it. See, that's, that's the lack of uniqueness to our nature there. If you faced it, somebody else someplace, sometimes someplace has faced it as well. You're not alone. And so Jesus was telling the woman caught in adultery, he was saying, and we're going to draw this out, but he was saying to her, you are not alone. We all, we all sin, all of us here. And here's the point where Jesus pressed the self-righteous crowd. There's another time in the Gospels, another time, another place where, where Jesus said, he was talking about sin, and, and, and Jesus said, if you have ever looked with lust upon another person with lust in your heart, you have sinned. If you've ever looked with lust in your heart upon another person, Jesus said, you, you have sinned. And see, that's exactly, in John 8, that's exactly the point Jesus is making when he says, let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. See, the wording of without sin means unfault, un, unerring or faultless. Unerring or faultless. So, so in other words, if you have gotten to a point in your life where you think you have never sinned in your heart even, Jesus says, because remember what he said. Even if you look with lust upon another person, you have sinned. So Jesus is saying, if you've gotten this far in your life, he's saying to the crowd, if you've gotten this far in your life and you have never done that, then by all means stone her. And what did they do? Do you remember what they did? They walked away. They walked away. So the first gift from the story is we are not alone. We are not alone. The second thing we need to remember, the second gift from the story, is when sin happens in our lives, we are not condemned. That is huge. When sin happens in our lives, we are not condemned. If you've got your Bibles open, notice in verse 11 there, Jesus says to the woman, what does he say? Neither do I condemn you. Just, just let that sit there. Neither, neither do I condemn you. We are, we are not condemned. See, the thing is, sin is condemned, not the sinner. Oh, how we need to remember that. Sin is condemned, not the sinner. See, here's the depth of those, of those words. When the, when the woman's accusers walked away, 
Jesus said, let let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. And they began to drop their stones and walk away, beginning with the oldest down to the youngest. When all the people left, when they all walked away, who was left there with, with the woman caught in adultery? Yeah, Jesus was left with her. It was just Jesus and the woman. Now listen, the woman was left with the only one who was qualified to throw a stone. Jesus said, let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. They all walked away. The only person left with her was, the, was Jesus. Jesus was sinless. He was perfect. He was the one. See, that's the point John wants us to see. Jesus was the one without sin. He was the only one who met that qualification. Jesus was without sin. Beautiful side note. And this plays right up to Good Friday and to Easter morning. Good side note right here from Hebrews 4.15. Look at this. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So what do we know from that passage? We know two big things from that passage. First of all, we know that temptation is not sin. It is not sin to be tempted. It is not sin to be tempted. And the second thing we know is that Jesus was without sin. Jesus lived a sinless life. That's the only way that his death on the cross could be an acceptable sacrifice for our sin, for the perfect spotless lamb of God to die in our place. So so here's what's happening. When the Pharisees would not throw a stone, Jesus told the woman she wasn't alone. We're not alone. We all sin and fall short. When Jesus would not throw a stone, the only one qualified to throw a stone under the law. When Jesus would not throw a stone, he told the woman, you are not condemned. Has no one condemned you? No one, she says. Then Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Those are are beautiful words to hear. How many times in our lives have others condemned us? How many times have you heard the word shame on you? How many times has someone wagged a finger in your face telling you what a horrible person you are because of what you've done? How many times do we condemn ourselves? How many times do we carry that weight of condemnation? How many times have we condemned others? See, the thing is, you were not built to be condemned. We were not built to be condemned. Jesus looks us in the eyes and he says, you, you have value. You have purpose. God has a plan for you. That's why Jesus died for you. You were made for something. See, the one thing we weren't made for, we were not made to be condemned. 
So we have to be gracious with ourselves. We have to be gracious with ourselves. We have to be gracious with others. We were not made to be condemned. Here's an important thing to remember. It's important because it comes from the last thing Jesus said to the woman. Condemnation is not the cure for sin. Condemnation is the punishment for sin. What that means is anyone who dies without Christ already stands condemned. But if you are in Christ, you cannot be condemned. Condemnation only comes upon those who have not accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Here's what Paul says in Romans 8.1. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. By the now, he means after the cross, after the resurrection. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation, none. So here's something, if you take notes, you might want to write down. Here's something you might want to write now. Believe your Savior more than your sin. And we're going to say that together. How about it? Let's say that together. Believe your Savior more than your sin. Do that one more time. Believe your Savior more than your sin. And see, we say that loudly. See, when, when guilt and shame play on your mind, when either you start beating yourself up or you let others beat you up over your sin where you have failed, when that happens, remember that. Believe your Savior more than your sin. So the first two gifts from this story are we are not alone in our sin, we are not condemned in our sin, and the last one, finally, we are responsible for our sins. See, this doesn't let us get away scot-free. We are responsible for our sins. The devil, any fans of Flip Wilson? I'm not really aging myself. The devil didn't make us do it. Devil doesn't make us do anything. Other people, oh, you've raised, if you've raised kids, mommy, mommy, it, it was Billy, mom, it was Billy, no, no, it was Susie, she said to, no, 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 it was, it was you. Other people don't make us do things. We choose to do things. And see, with the help of Jesus Christ, we can choose to walk away from those things. Story about a priest, Episcopalian Church, Richard Holloway. He's still alive. I believe he's retired, but he was a, a bishop in Edinburgh, Edinburgh in, in the Episcopal Church. He was a bishop in Edinburgh in the Episcopal Church, and he was a, is a very liberal guy. Very liberal guy. I mean, if you, if, you want, if you want to understand why mainline churches in Great Britain are in decline, it's, it's they've got this kind of theology running rampant. He's a very liberal guy. Listen to this guy. And he's a bishop. He does not believe in a personal God. Yeah. Yeah, I said that. That's what he believes. 
He does not believe in a personal God. He says Christian doctrine is merely poetry and metaphor. And he made a very clear case in his mind for secular humanist morality. In other words, secular humanist morality is morality without God. And he's a bishop. But here's the best thing. I'm saving the best thing for last. He says, oh, by the way, he says don't go thinking he's an atheist or an agnostic. But anyway, he once said adultery was caused by genetics. We are hardwired by, it's our biology to commit adultery. So we have no business condemning adultery affairs as sinful or wrong. I could make a quip about wanting to become an Episcopalian priest now. But I'm not going to do it because my wife is going to give me that look right there. (laughs) Can you imagine We're hardwired to commit adultery, so it's not sinful or wrong. But what does Jesus say? Let's put the words right up there. Jesus says, go, and from now on, sin no more. So in order to believe that we are hardwired to commit adultery and therefore not responsible for that sin, it's not really sin, you have to reject that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? Are you with me on that? Because what does Jesus say? Go and from now on sin no more. And so what he's saying is you are responsible for your sin. You are responsible for it. So go and leave your life of sin. Jesus said that to the woman and the woman was able to do it. We are able to do it. That's the power of grace. It's the option to leave a life of sin. We do have a choice. And while we are not condemned for our sin, we are responsible for the choices we make. And we don't have to choose sin. Here's the final thought. This is why I say that. Here's the final thought on chapter 8. It all ties together with verse 12. Just, again, we've been talking about how so beautifully simple John's gospel is and how things just just fit together. So look at verse 12. I am, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. So, So we look at that, and so this, he says this, now listen, he says this after this encounter with the woman caught in adultery, after this dramatic unfolding scene and all of these wonderful gifts that he teaches us, and then he ends with this. He ends the encounter with this. Now, what have we seen in John's gospel already? We've seen, we're going to look at this. It happens eight times. John has these these sayings of Jesus, the I am saying. So we've seen already Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the living water. And now what does it say? It says Jesus is the light. And what does light do? So if your power goes out and you have to go into the basement to check your little electrical board thingy there, you grab a flashlight. Why? Why do you need a flashlight? Why? You need the light. 
You need the light to show you the way. You need the light to illuminate your path. And so what is Jesus saying? Jesus, after he says to the woman, go and sin no more, then he says, here's the simply profound moment, then he says, I am the light of the world. It is so beautifully simple. The the alternative to, to falling into sin is to following Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Jesus provides the light. So Jesus shows us the way. He says, this is what you need to do, and this is how you do it. And I'm going to lead you because I am the light. And he walks us through it. He walks us through it. There is only one answer to the darkness of sin and death. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Only Jesus Christ can answer our darkness. Only Jesus Christ can lead us into the light. I love Psalm 27.1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Let's all say amen together. Amen, amen to that. Notice. Jesus never said he was a light. Notice, Jesus never said he was some light. Jesus said, I am the light. I am the light of the world. There is no other way to walk. There is no other light to illuminate our path, to show us the way. So it is only, it is the the choice is Jesus or darkness. That's what it is. You're either walking with Jesus Christ or you're walking with darkness. That's it. It's Jesus or darkness. So today, will you choose to follow Jesus Christ as the true light and true life? Visit us on the web at tecumsehcove.org. That's T-E-C-U-M-S-E-H-C-O-V-E dot O-R-G.